Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I'm so excited to be here today. Welcome to the Firetime Podcast. Well, hey, this is a conversation that I have been excited to have for quite a while. Today, I get to talk with Jill McClure, who's the new president and CEO of the HPBA. And Jill is somebody I've gotten to know more and more over the last few months. We've had a number of Zoom calls where we've talked through different issues in our industry, different opportunities for our industry. And I have just been really, really impressed by just her approach to leadership and to business and to opportunity. And she's somebody that I, I feel like, um, man, from the get-go has has been very transparent and has just kind of laid her cards on the table and said, this is what I'm thinking and this is the direction that I want to go in. And, and I think that that is, uh, it's difficult when you're in a high-profile position to operate that way, but I've been very, very impressed by... Uh, by her demeanor, and I'm excited for you to hear this conversation. Today, what we're talking about in particular is leadership. You know, Jill's come in to take over a legacy organization that's existed for a long time. And there is a status quo that comes into play when you have an establishment that's been going for a while. Jill's coming in to uh, to take it over and to decide, hey, where are we going to continue to rely on the things that have gotten us here? And where do we need to push into new opportunities or a change of direction. And so we get into all things leadership today. And I think that she's got some really, really good nuggets for us to think about. And so with that said, I'm going to jump out of the way so that you can hear this conversation. I have some thoughts to share on the back end, but for now, get out a pen and paper because we're going to talk leadership and there's a lot here. Joining me from Arlington, Virginia, is the president and CEO of the Hearth Patio and Barbecue Association, or the HPBA. I'm here today with Jill McClure. Jill, how you doing? Hi, Tim. I'm doing great. How about you? I'm good. You know, I I, I say the HPBA all the time. I don't realize what a what a mouthful it is to actually you know sound out the the entire acronym. As I've gotten to know you a little bit over the last six to eight months, uh, I've just been really excited about your vision the way that you approach situations. And uh, I kind of want to give people the inside scoop on your leadership style and just have a conversation about leadership. I love it. Let's do it. Cool. So, you know, uh, you took over for Jack, who'd been the president and CEO for a long time in the industry. And this is a new position, new industry for you. Can you talk a little bit just about your your backstory? Because it's, I mean, as I looked at your resume, it was really impressive and you've done a lot of cool things. Well, thank you. I started out my career in broadcasting and then um, went into sort of the ad agency world for a little bit and and decided um, while I was in the ad agency world, actually, it was when I went to grad school for it, I decided that um, I really wanted to uh, pursue something other than advertising. Um and I and that's when I, I sort of got into consulting, and um, I worked with high tech companies for a while. And and certainly the advertising piece plays a part because advertising is all about knowing your audience and and getting the messaging right. So um, you know, moving into uh, consulting for the high tech companies, I worked on um, their 
corporate events and I worked on um, corporate messaging and a lot of, you know, diversity type events and things like that. Enjoyed that thoroughly. Um, and then uh, also was teaching college at the time. Uh, I, I had a goal of going to grad school to teach. And um, somehow along the way, I realized, okay, I don't actually have to have a PhD to teach. Uh, and so I started teaching adjunct. Um, at the same time, I was pursuing my consulting business and really loved that. I was having the time of my life doing that. Um, but I ended up getting a job offer for an association out of Colorado. And it was the Colorado Oil and Gas Association and um, decided to, hey, let me just take this interview and see what they have to say. It sounds like an interesting opportunity. Um, and I'll see Colorado for the first time in my life. So I had never been to Colorado before and thought, hey, this will be kind of a, a fun little trip to see, yeah. to see some mountains maybe and meet some new people and see what this opportunity is all about. And you know, little did I know that was going to be the beginning of this new stage in my career in association management. It ended up being the next direction in my career. So for the next seven years, I was there. I became the chief operating officer and learned all about association management. And not only that, but learned about oil and gas. And you know, I, I think that that oil and gas association background is part of what led me to HPBA um, because we, of yes. course, have um, that as a component of our industry. And also my most recent association was in retail. So I worked with retailers. And so the combination of those two things has led me to yeah. HPBA. So it's fun to be in an industry that really loves what they do. I agree. I mean, it's a it's a niche industry. I had I had a friend tell me one time that this industry is the last frontier of the sole proprietor, and I think that there's some truth to that. It's a quirky industry that you really can can make something of yourself in, which is really cool. So, one thing I'm curious about when when I first met you, it was it was at the trade show this year, and you had a million questions. And from talking to other folks, it seems like in in the first like I don't know number of months that you've been here, it seems like you were on like a information quest to understand everything about the industry. And I, I think that's really wise from a leadership perspective. You know, it's like Stephen Covey, seek first to understand, then be understood. But what, like, when you go into a, a legacy association like this that does have a status quo of the way things are done, like, how, how did you approach leadership? Like, it seems like listening and asking questions was a big part of it at the beginning. Listening is number one. And really... People love to, to tell you things. So as you're trying to find who are, you know, the, the different stakeholders in the industry, you can, you know, talk to one person and then at the end of the conversation say, who else should I talk to? And then they lead you to a few more. And yeah. that, that sort of listening tour that I've been doing over the first few months here has been extremely helpful for me to understand what's happened uh, in our history at HPBA to understand what's happened in this, um, you know, industry as a whole, just really understanding who the players are. I mean, there's so many different perspectives just, you know, in this one organization, it's really important to, to hear from all of them to put the full picture together. And that's really what I've been working towards. You know, I spent um, time every week within the first um, three to four months of my position talking with Jack Goldman, who you mentioned, that um, was my predecessor. I, yeah. 
I talked to Jack. I wanted to understand, um, you know, decisions that had been made and how they were made and understand the different types of members that we serve. And he, you know, he was certainly a wealth of information. So I spent a lot of time with Jack and of course yeah. still, you know, keep those lines open with him as other questions come up. But um, he certainly identified people I needed to meet with and and the board did that as well. So I have to say that I've been very fortunate in the board of directors um, that is serving right now as I start my inaugural year in this position has been phenomenal. Uh, they are fully engaged. They are definitely strong leaders in the industry and have helped me tremendously. Yeah, that's great. So one thing I'm curious of, you you stepped into a, a leadership position and, and there had been leadership there before. Jack had been the, the CEO and president for a long time. So there was kind of an established way that things were done. And obviously when anyone new comes in, there's always little bits of direction change. You just can't help it as a new personality comes in with new emphasis and ideas and things. For people listening to this, I, I think that most folks aren't in a position where there's wholesale leadership change going from, you know, one manager to another, one owner to another. But if 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 a company's listening that has felt like, you know, our leadership is kind of stagnated and we we need to go in a new direction, but we need to be able to bring the team with us. Like what advice would you give someone in that position? I think the best thing you can do is get fresh eyes. I am the outsider right now, but I think that that's very helpful. Yeah. You know, somebody who hasn't yeah. seen all of it for years and kind of grown accustomed to how things are, um, I think that's very helpful. So, you know, if you have the opportunity to, to bring in someone uh, from from the outside who can can review your business and see things that you're doing and make suggestions, I certainly think that that is yeah. awesome. But, you know, if, if that's not in the budget or you don't have a friend who could help with with that, uh, you know, way of, of having a third party come in. I think just pursuing professional development is one way to get fresh perspective. And, you know, maybe it's, you know, a course through NFI, or maybe it's, um, you know, reading a book together and that could introduce some new concepts. I think always, looking for new ideas and how to implement different ways of thinking um, really helps with change. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so funny when, when you talk about outside perspective, I, I think about that a lot in the work that I do, you know, part of my job is, is kind of traveling around the country and, and helping businesses with different initiatives that they have. And I think that outside perspective really is a, is a gift And you know, the longer that you are in your company or in your role, you can't help but get tunnel vision. You you just, you can't help it. It happens to everybody. And we always want to be trying to read and, and look at things from different angles. But man, there is, there is a gift of outside perspective. Like when you can just find someone that you trust and respect to come in and say, Hey, like, what do you, what do you think about this? Like, what do you see? Like people will point out things that you never, ever would have thought of. I, I, I find this a lot in, um, in, in my business, one of the, one of the people is my sister who does all of our graphic design because she's quasi removed from most of the day to day. And at times she'll come in and just have these things to say that are so wise that like, I never would have thought of, and no one on the team would have thought of. I I think that for many businesses in our industry, they struggle with outside perspective because, you know, maybe they don't want to hire a a consultant or they don't know who they'd hire. But man, I, I think like, finding a friend that you go to church with that like you respect as a business person to like 
just make some observations. I, I think that that is incredibly powerful. Yeah. Unless one of your friends to be a, a mystery shopper or, yeah, I mean, there are all sorts of ways to bring some, yeah. some outside perspective. In. And, yeah. and I think we, we oftentimes don't consider some of the, the people who aren't actually like experts, you know, like you mentioned your sister, because she's outside of the industry. Yeah. She can come in and see things completely differently. And it doesn't always have to be some yeah. expert. Um, you know, it can, it can be from somebody who just sort of puts on the hat of a consumer coming in. You mentioned professional development, too, as a way to rally a team around new leadership or new direction. And I, I agree with that. It's funny, like you, you talked about, you know, reading a book together or taking like an, an NFI class together. Man, over the course of this year, uh, I've been I've been leading a business cohort of, of a number of businesses that we, we meet regularly and, and do some things together. But we've had a quarterly book and it has been amazing. Every cohort meeting starts with the book club where we have assigned chapters and, and it's just a group of, you know, six, seven people. It's not many people, but us reading the same thing and talking about it and then diving into our different businesses, it is unbelievable what that does to rally us together towards a common cause. And I think that within companies like, you know, maybe you've got one person on your team that that could be a leader someday, like inviting them into professional development. Like, hey, I'd like to read this book together with you and go out for breakfast once a month to chat about it. That that will invite that person into being something that's bigger than themselves. And I think that for many folks that are working in our industry, They've not had someone pour into them. And when you can do that, even with like a book club or saying like, hey, I want to take this this leadership class together that NFI puts on, like, let's let's take next Friday off work and you and I are going to, you know, go to a coffee shop and watch it together. I, I think that things like that really do stir something up in people to inspire them. Absolutely. And, you know, you can't really blame budget for not doing something like that, because we're talking about what a 10 to $15 yeah. book that you each get, even if you do it yep. with just one other person and, you know, that's a $30 investment basically. Yeah. Absolutely. Who can't do that? You know, that, that would be a really easy way to do some professional development and to grow with each other. You know, if you find somebody to, to have your own book club, it doesn't even have to be a group, you know, it could just be, like you said, one other person. Yeah. I love that. A- another thing that came to mind um, when we were talking about this and we we're talking about change is that when you have been doing something for a really long time, I firmly believe in when it comes to meetings, I believe in a change of venue. I can't tell you yeah. how often I have seen uh, I used to serve on a leadership team and we would have these monthly meetings in the same room and it seemed like the same conversation would happen over and over and over again. The yeah. same people in the same room at the same time and just getting yep. that group out of that space to a different space, we had new thoughts. So, you know, change can be introduced yes. in a lot of different ways and it, it doesn't have to be expensive and it doesn't have to be a complete overhaul and it can be, you know, taking a walk. You know, I love a good walking meeting. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a good walking meeting yep. clears people's heads and gives you some new perspective. Uh, I, I love walking meetings. Um, so, yeah, just a couple of ideas about instituting change in some inexpensive ways. Joe, you told me this beforehand. You said that you always have an agenda. 
when you have meetings. And I love that because I absolutely believe in an agenda. Why do all your meetings need an agenda? Probably for me more than <laughs> for anyone else so that that I stay focused uh, and that we accomplish what we're there for. I think it's it's easy when you're when you're having a meeting and you don't have that as a guide, it's easy for you to spend the time and not accomplish what the meeting was originally called for. So yeah. um, I get easily distracted. I you know have kind of an adult ADHD that I have to deal with all the time. I, I have certainly had it as a kid too, but I've learned how to cope with it and I try to use it as a superpower now. Yeah. And I, yeah. you know, I think that that's one of the ways I get a lot of things done is, is because I do have that, but it's also one of the ways that I can get quickly off track. So, you know, even when I'm, um, you know, doing a staff meeting or something, I will have slides to sort of guide the conversation and make sure that we hit on the really important things. I also have to say, though, I am a huge fan of spontaneity and Sometimes something comes up in a meeting that we weren't anticipating and there's the gravity of the moment. When else will we have this face-to-face opportunity to tackle this topic? This is the right time. I think I I do sort of lean on my intuition on those things um, and try to make space for those things, especially now. When um, our working environment is a hybrid environment, so if we're together, um, it's very special. You know, I'll give an example. We were in Nashville recently for our site visit. Uh, we're, of course, preparing for HPV Expo and very, very excited yeah. about being back in Nashville in February. And we were there to do some of our planning work uh, together. And because our team is distributed and we're not all together all the time, um, we had to take advantage of, you know, some late night meetings at 11 o'clock. We were sitting around a table talking about how we can do some things differently and how we can, you know, make sure that we're using everyone's talents um, on the team. So, you know, yes, I love an agenda, but I also love some spontaneity when it has purpose. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes me think about like the Eisenhower quote where he says, plans mean nothing but planning is everything you know it's like going into going into a meeting i i i love like especially if it's a standing meeting like a sales meeting or a staff meeting i like to have a standing agenda and and that can be flexed and modified but what it does for me is it makes it to where i never have to reinvent the wheel i know exactly what we're doing and it actually frees me up to be present in the meeting where if i'm like i wonder what we're going to talk about next should we go to this should we like i'm not actually present it's almost like liturgy at church right like you can either turn it into something rote that becomes lifeless and meaningless or you can use the liturgy to actually make yourself more present because you don't have to worry about what's going to happen next and i i think it's the same sort of thing with with a meeting and but like you said like knowing that like this is a living thing and if and if we get a change of direction that is correct we're going to throw the plan out and 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 we're going to we're going to go in that direction but the plan serves the purpose of of it's like it's like the trellis versus the vine right you know we we got to have enough enough trellis for this thing otherwise it's out of control we'll get back to our conversation with Jill McClure in just one second hey if you have been listening to the podcast this season and have been thinking about 
you know, how do I implement the steps of the sales process that we talked about earlier? How do I train my team the way that Mark Stoner was talking about? If you have questions that have come up from this season of the podcast, we want to answer those in our final episode. As is our tradition, every podcast season, we close it out with a Q&A episode. And I try to record those episodes right before they release so that I can take in as many questions as possible to give you some answers that will help your business grow. You know, one of the things that's tough when you're in an interview format is you're not always able to dive into every bit of nuance that you want to. And so as you send in questions that are specific to your specific business, we can go there. We can try to give you really clear insight and direction for your company. And so make sure to send those questions in. To do that, you just shoot me over an email. My email address is tim at itsfiretime.com. That's tim at itsfiretime.com. I want to ask you just a question I've been thinking about. Why is leadership hard? I think there's some hard things about leadership. You know, sometimes you have to make really difficult decisions. Sometimes you have to provide difficult feedback. I'm a huge Brene Brown fan. Uh, and you know, yeah. I have to say Brene Brown was like life changing for me uh, as a leader, going from mm. thinking that I needed to be, you know, always poised and buttoned up to thinking, oh, I can be myself and be vulnerable and, and not have to be perfect yeah. was sort of freeing in a way. Yeah. Uh, but she has a saying yeah. in her, one of her many sayings is, you know, clear is kind. And that's one of the things that um, I try to always remember, clear is kind unclear is unkind. And I I think one of the ways that um, it's difficult to be a leader is a a thing that people have a lot of difficulty with is providing feedback. I love this idea that, that Brene did such a great job building out that when you aren't given clear expectations, you are not being kind. Yeah. When you are not giving clear feedback, you are not being kind. You may think that you're you know, keeping their feelings in mind, but what you're really doing is preventing them from being successful. And we as leaders have to be clear. That's really, really good. I mean, it makes me think for me, this is, is wrong, but there have been times in my life where I have either had feedback or I've had something that I felt like this person probably should know, but they're not going to like hearing it. And it's been easy for me sometimes to write that off and say, well, even if I, even if I gave them this feedback, like they wouldn't change. And so I'm not going to give it. And, and, and if there, there is wisdom in knowing, you know, is it appropriate in this situation for me to offer feedback? Am I a person in a leadership role where I owe it to them or a friendship role? And there's times where it's absolutely not appropriate, but if, if it is an appropriate thing, you're the leader, you're the, you're a friend and you owe this feedback for you not to give it what I found for me is it actually like devalues their humanity. It's me saying, oh, they probably couldn't handle it. It's like, well, who am I to say that? That's that's a lot of assumptions on my part for me to say, oh, well, they're, they're incapable of changing, you know, so I'm not going to give it. And and I think that there's there it takes real wisdom. But but if you are in a position where where you need to give feedback, like if you're a leader over people like you owe it to them to give feedback and that feedback might be really difficult to give and it might be really difficult to hear, but it never gets better when you prolong it or you drag it out. I've, I've, I've had situations that have gone on for months where I should have made a change or dealt with something and I didn't because I wanted to, you know, 
preserve that person's feelings. And in, in reality, it was actually unkind of me to not give them the feedback that, that they needed. Sometimes that feedback helps them make better choices about their own life. They may, from that feedback, yeah. realize, you know, I'm not, I'm not really feeling like this is the right fit for me, or this is not something that brings me joy. This may not be what I should be doing with my life. I mean, we have to, to believe yeah. that being a leader requires that clear, kind feedback. Right. I mean, feedback doesn't have to be rude. It shouldn't be rude. It should be professional. That's right. Kind. That's right. Your intent should be yeah. to help. Your intent should be to coach. Right. Um, another concept yeah. that yeah. I really love that kind of helps keep me grounded in this idea is the one of radical candor. And it's one that, you know, to have sort of a high performing team, you have to sort of build a culture of radical candor. And, you know, yeah, it, that's right. I haven't really had a chance yet to truly build a culture yet at HPBA. Um, but it's certainly something that, that I want to work toward where anybody on the team feels like they can provide feedback yeah. and that they can, that their feedback is valued. I, I love it when somebody provides some insight that makes me change my mind about something. I mean, that's like, that makes my day. That's like the highlight yeah. of my day when I change my mind because somebody told yeah. me a different way of thinking of it, of whatever the problem is that we're solving, yeah. you know, and they say, well, what about this perspective? And uh, that's, that's gold, right? That's really good. As you say that, I'm, I'm literally looking on the wall at our core values. And we did a series on this a while ago, but like one of our company's core values is confront the brutal facts about our company. And it comes from Jim Collins in, in Good to Great. But it, that's kind of become something for us where pretty much at any time, you know, anyone in the company has license to say, hey, Tim, we, we got to confront the brutal facts here. You know, here's what's going on. And, and it kind of allows us, even if it's difficult to hear, to, to be able to take that feedback and realize, like, we're not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. We're just trying to give, you know, we're trying to confront the brutal facts. And, the, and these are the facts. We got to decide what to do about it. And to bring HPBA back into to focus here, I think that's part of the beauty of what we've got right now is we have a core of, you know, our, our legacy staff members, people who have long tenure who've been with us for a really long time and added new people, some fresh, some fresh faces. Combine that with some new ideas and some different ways of doing things. The combination of those two things is truly magic. And that, of course, is what, yeah. you know, I hope to see continue as we, you know, go down this path with HPBA to increase the value that we provide to our members. That's ultimately what we are, are always going for at HPBA. Our, our goal is to serve our members and to provide value. So we are really digging into that and digging into that as as how does our, our work reflect that? Are we doing the right things? Are we spending our time yeah. and our energy and our money on the right things that really, truly provide value to our members? So as a leader, right, we, we talked about how we owe it to people to give feedback. And I love you talking about radical candor and, and clearest kind. That's really, really good. But for you, like, how do you get feedback? It's kind of sad that People don't just give it to you. If you really have to, I think. Yeah, that's right. It gets lonelier the higher absolutely. that you get, right? And and I think 
you have to ask for it. I certainly feel like I have to ask for it. And especially with the team, I think you have to start building, you know, again, trust and, and the culture of providing feedback. And, and I frequently will sit with a team member and say, look, I'm going to make you mad. I'm going to do something that you don't like. And when I do, give me an opportunity to make it right. Give me an opportunity to learn from it and yeah. make it right. And, you know, I, yeah. I find saying that helps, um, but also, you know, reminding them, you know, sure, they heard it once, but reminding them, I really need to know. Yeah. And, and sometimes I yeah. will, you know, get some sort of, you know, intuition. You know, I think I handled that wrong. And then I approach and ask for the feedback. Hey, I think I handled that wrong. I think I could have done better. What do you think I should have said? Yeah. yeah. So, so I think yeah. opening up the door for that feedback is part of the way I get it. And then I also have, you know, trusted friends that are advisors that, you know, when I tell them, hey, I think I really handled something wrong. You know, this was a situation. This is what yeah. I said. I have, you know, those yeah. people in my circle that will say, yep, you you did. And you should go apologize. <laughs> or yes, you did. How about if yeah. you approached it this way? I think they'd rather have heard this from you. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's important to have those people, but also to create that, you know, safety in that culture to provide feedback, even to me, you know? I think one of the biggest things in leadership is self-awareness, right? Like you, you need to have an idea of how you come across and how people perceive you. And, and that it's really hard for that to happen like solo. I think it takes other people around us. And I mean, I'm thinking about for me, like I've got, I have one official mentor that like I, I literally pay to get together with and like get feedback and, and, you know, say, Hey, here's what I've got coming up. Like, how would you approach this? I, here's what I'm thinking. Like, can you give me feedback on this? Or here's how I approach the situation. And then I have a lot of, of, of informal relationships as well. And I think that, I think that that is required if, if we're going to become a, a leader that, that does anything, you know, one, one thing I'm curious of. So like, again, as you, as you've taken over the helm at HPBA, you know, there was a status quo of the way that things were done. Jack had been there for a long time. We've got the trade show. We rinse and repeat and we try to do, you know, we, we try to do something new with it, but like we have these set things that we, that we do. So as you're coming in, you, in, in many ways, like you have a lot of established ground that can be really, really helpful. You're not having to like dig the ditch for the foundation. Like you're, you've already got like a, a building that's built. How do you decide where to be thankful for what's been given to you and continue to do that same thing versus saying, I appreciate what's been done here, but we actually need to go a different direction. How do you make those decisions? I think listening for the legacy is first and foremost, and like really understanding that, understanding where we are right yeah. now, where we've come from, understanding what are the big issues that members are, are facing right now? What are the things ahead? What are the the things that we're going to have to tackle? So, you know, wrapping my head around those things, um, one way that we're really, I think, putting some structure to that is in the creation of our strategic plan. It gives guidance to what our priorities are, what our members' priorities are, and helps us allocate resources correctly. So, you know, as we go through this process, we're trying to understand, okay, where have we been? And where are we right now? But where are we headed? 
And all of that is sort of, you know, encapsulated in a strategic plan. And, and we certainly have that underway and have been working with the board of directors to create that. Um, as far as changing things, um, you know, you really have to always be changing things. I mean, that's business. No matter, no matter mm-hmm. how long, you know, I'm in this position, we'll be changing things because if we aren't changing things, we're not paying attention to the business environment. We should always be acknowledging what's changing around us and we should be responding quickly. In fact, we should even get better at predicting what's going to happen and not just being responsive, but being proactive. And that really is our goal to become a more proactive organization, a future forward organization. We aren't just thinking about, you know, what's happening right now. We need to be thinking about what's going to be happening to our industry five and 10 years from now. And we see some of that writing on the wall. We have to, you know, dig into that yeah. and prepare for it. We can't just stay in a reactive state. So, you know, again, listening, learning the legacy, really trying to understand what's happening in the business environment, trying to understand what's happening. I mean, there's a lot of things we're juggling, right? But I think that the strategic plan is a living document that we are not going to just yeah. put on a shelf. We're actually going to live and breathe yeah, it. Right. It is our business plan. I think that's what yeah. oftentimes on, you know, on boards and in organizations, nonprofits, et cetera, we think, you know, oh, a strategic plan, that's a nice to have. No, it's a must. It is the business plan for right. the organization. And we have to know what our targets are. We have to know where we're headed. And we have to get some consensus around that and move forward, take action and really know you know, how are we going to get there? What are our tactics going to be? And how are we going to measure that? How are we going to know when we succeed? Yeah. So I, I love a strategic plan, if you can't tell. <laughs> I'm with you 100%. This is something that, that, you know, we've been doing for a number of years is like, you know, we have, we, we break it down into goals and objectives. And every quarter we have a meeting to line out, you know, how we're heading towards our goals, what objectives we have to do, to do this quarter. And it's like, it's the only way we can keep things on the rails, you know, because otherwise we'll be chasing every good idea that comes our way. Like we'll be doing every initiative, try and it's like, you can't do that. Like you, you gotta, you gotta be ruthless in saying no to good things so that you can actually do the best things. And you only know what the best things are if you talk about it and establish a, a direction. So that, that's really good. I think for retailers listening to this too, and, and even for manufacturers and distributors is like taking that really seriously, the strategic plan, it doesn't sit on a shelf and you say, yeah, we did that once. It's like, no, like this is in front of us every week. Like we live and breathe this thing because this is the direction of the company. Absolutely. Okay. Here's another question. What has been the hardest thing you have encountered as you've led HPBA for this time? Tim, I think that hardest thing has been having to um, cut some expenses and some downsizing of our staff, which, you know, I think all leaders would agree that that's absolutely the hardest thing to ever have to do is to, to let anybody go. And, and it's unfortunate, but I think everybody knows that the economy has has struggled and that the industry has struggled when our members struggle we struggle and so that you know financial difficulty um that i I know many of our members have faced over the past few years hpva has also faced and we are having to you know make some adjustments in how we spend money and and need to always be good stewards and honor that 
money that members pay to HPBA to run on their behalf, yeah. we have got to be good stewards. And we have to sometimes make these adjustments to right-size our organization and move forward. So uh, absolutely, I think you know any leader listening would probably agree with me that that is one of the hardest things to have to do. And we've certainly had to do some of that in the past few months. How do you approach difficult decisions like that? Because I, I think that for people listening, there's folks that are saying like, I know exactly what she's saying. Like, I, I, I've, I've got to make this cut. I've, I, I've got to downsize what we do, or I need to let somebody go. And those are really hard decisions. Like, how do you approach those decisions? One, you have to really gather your information and your data to to make a decision like that. You really have to, to know, you know, what the facts are. And, um, you know, it's it's never personal. It's always based on facts. Like, we don't we don't want to ever make, you know, an emotional decision about something like this. We want it to always be fact-based, um, you know, where are the areas of, of programs that we aren't going to be continuing or, you know, what, um, what are the areas where we're, we're overspending on our ROI for that area? Like we just got to cut back on how much we're spending there because that's not in the top, you know, three to five things that our members value. I mean, we really have to make some fact-based decisions. Um, so we obviously can't make them, you know, based on emotions. That said, there is emotion yeah. for the person that's affected. And I think that's the other part is that we always have to acknowledge that and help um, help them understand when it absolutely isn't, you know, something that, that they caused. Yeah. That, that's that's a really hard situation. So one of the things that uh, I think about a lot in our industry, our, our industry traditionally has been very male dominant and, uh, you know, right, wrong or otherwise, it, it, it kind of is the way that the industry is. But I feel like we are getting more and more women, particularly young women coming into the industry that are really becoming champions of, of business and, and of the different areas where they serve. Having you as a woman in the highest leadership position of our industry is really cool. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious, like, if you could speak about your heart for women in our industry specifically. Well, first and foremost, I was elated to find out that we already have a women's mentorship program. Uh, I have been part of programs like that in my previous uh, associations and to know that we already had one that was running and running well. Um, I appreciate Amy Ryan and her leadership there to continue that program. I've been listening to each of their meetings and I just, I really love where it's headed and I love seeing the, the mentorship that's happening there. Um, I have been part of male dominated industries pretty much my whole career um, and so I know that it's really important for there to be intentional spaces for women to get support. And it really is about, you know, creating belonging for them. Um, it's intimidating yeah. to, and I've done it many times, walk into a room of all men and be the only woman or one of two. It, it can be very intimidating. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's a culture that already exists that, you um, you know, as you mentioned, it is changing, but if we can encourage each other and help each other, um, the women in this industry, and really we need champions like you, we need men to help with this, uh, to, to continue this work. We all bring different things to the table and we're more balanced as an industry when we have different types of people. 
Yeah, a hundred percent. And and even like I, I think about this a lot with what Bridget Brennan talks about. She's got a couple books that are really, really good about selling and in particular like marketing and, and, and having your business set up to give value to women because women drive nearly all of the purchases that are made in our society, even if they are not making the purchase. In so many ways, they're the veto vote. They're a key decision maker. And when we think about an industry that's male dominated, you know, I imagine if you and your entire staff are men, all your salespeople are guys, well, you're selling a lot of products to women. And even if it's a guy coming in to buy it, chances are there's a woman involved in his life that is heavily influencing that decision. And unless you have sensitivity to think about like, is our business actually like inclusive? Like, does it make women feel good when they come in or do they look around and go, what is this place? You know, in the way that your team comes across, like, do you show diversity that you are like your customers or are you just single-minded in, in your approach that they either take it or leave it? And I think that um, it's not that we need to try to be all things to all people, but there is a very real reality that in a male-dominated industry, we are missing out on like literally half of what could be brought to the table to help us grow, right? Absolutely. So with all that, as we round out here, we've talked about leadership, difficult decisions. We've talked about change. What What's a change initiative that you're really excited about that we're going to be seeing rolling forward that, that you're a part of? Well, I know that you, Tim, are familiar with the Government Affairs Academy. That's one of our, our graduates, yeah. right? Um, I love yeah. that program. Um, I am also super excited about the changes that are happening in that program. Uh, as I'm sure you know, it is it has really become the sort of de facto leadership program for the industry. And, you know, why should it be informal? We're, we're going to make that formal. So it's um, we're moving towards um, a new change and it'll be called the government affairs leadership Academy and actually building in more intentional Mm. leadership components to it. Um, That will include um, hearing from some of the CEOs and thought leaders in the industry and, and really having a chance to do some of that networking with them as well. Um, they will have, you know, opportunities to, to, of course, still learn about advocacy and how to protect their business, which is really at the core of the program, but also we'll be doing uh, development around leadership skills and expanding industry knowledge. And, you know, that final thing, like growing their network, they get an opportunity to grow their network. I think another big change will be that we'll have a cohort that begins and ends at Expo. So the next cohort will begin in wow. February. Uh, and they meet in person, of course, and and get to kick it off with some intensive uh, sessions there. And then we'll have a combination of uh, virtual and in-person components of the program moving forward. We've tried to take a hard look at the program and keep the things that make it magical, add some components that really add on to that uh, leadership part, and then still keep some in-person components so that those who are in the program get to know each other and have that in-person networking as well. That's really cool to formalize it. I feel like it it really was a leadership training academy, even though I was only there for three days. So how can people get information on that? Or is that going to be like, is that going to be coming out? Where can, or is there anything on it yet? Um, it will be on the hpba.org website. So you'll be able to uh, find the application okay. there and also watch for announcements in hot news. 
you talked about the Government Affairs Leadership Academy, which is amazing. What's going to be happening this year at the trade show in Nashville? So one of the things that we're really focused on is the experience of our retailers when they come to the show. Um, We are building some components into their experience to really give them opportunity to meet with each other, a lot of peer sharing. Uh, We know that it can be lonely being uh, an entrepreneur. It can be lonely being a retailer. and, And we want them to have an opportunity to have information exchange with their peers. So we're setting up a whole new program for that. So that's very exciting. That's one of the, the big things that I think um, will change um, the show in Nashville. That's awesome. I, I think that, uh, man, yeah, the more we can push into that and, and spend time shoulder to shoulder with other people who are in the trenches doing it, I, I think that good things come from that. Well, Jill, this has been an awesome conversation. And, uh, you know, as I said at the beginning, I, I've loved getting to know you a little bit. And I mean, truly, like everybody I've talked to who, has worked with you at like the board level and, and, and different affiliate functions has just had glowing things to say. So I, I appreciate that you're at the helm championing our industry forward. So thank thanks you for being so here much, today. Tim. I enjoyed it so much. I appreciate it. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Jill McClure. I got a ton of value out of it. Her talking about the, the benefit of fresh eyes and outside perspective, man, that cannot be understated. I feel like so many companies in our industry suffer from ridiculous tunnel vision. And this is true for manufacturers, for distributors, and for retailers at all levels of the industry. I I think in many, many ways, we have not been looking around at what's happening around us and having outside voices share their perspective. And and I know for me, like, you know, I, I, I think about in my own business, I've got to bring in people from the outside to take a look at it. And it doesn't mean that I'm going to agree with everything they say or I'm going to do everything they say, but without the gift of outside perspective, I've got nothing because outside perspective, it, it's it's going to challenge things that you maybe don't want challenged and it will force you to either change or to really understand why you do it this way and come out the other side even more deeply convicted of the way you do it. And either one of those is a great outcome. I, I found too, with outside perspective, there's often very small things in your company that you might take for granted that when someone from the outside comes in and looks at it and goes, oh, this is really special. Like you should push into this. You should make a big deal out of this. You know, we never would have seen that ourselves because we're, we're so stuck in it every single day. You know, the more things you can do to step outside of your business, even just for a day, even just for two hours to go for a walk, to think critically, to have a conversation with a friend where you bounce a problem off of them, that gift of outside perspective is huge. And I I think that Jill's right with her coming in from the outside with her background of marketing and sales and advertising. I I think that with her background of marketing and broadcasting and advertising, man, I, I, I think that there's a lot of great outside perspective that she brings to the table. You know, one of the notes that, that I took away when we were discussing leadership was the idea that clear is kind, you know, that Brene Brown quote is really, really good. Um, I remember probably 30 years ago, I, I read one of her books and like, you know, Brene is a, a phenomenal communicator, but clear is kind. Oftentimes things don't get addressed because as a leader, like, oh, I don't want to have that conversation. It's not going to go over well. 
well, I mean, I don't want to hurt their feelings. And, and really like, that is not kind. It's not kind to your people. Now, you know, the leadership relationship is different than the relationship with, you know, the person at the grocery store that's wearing a, a political shirt that you disagree with, right? Like, that's not really an appropriate relationship where that, that person is not asking for your, for your feedback. But when you're in a, when you're in a professional relationship and you are a leader, you, you owe feedback to the people underneath you. You really do. And what I found for me is when I do not give regular feedback to my team, they don't know how they're doing and they start to get insecure. But when your team has regular feedback, even if some of that feedback is is difficult, well, that that lets them know where they stand and it lets them know that you care and, and that you can help them improve. I want to give really good feedback along with difficult feedback. So so if if the people that that I'm I'm in a leadership position over trust me that that I care about them, I love them, and I want the best for them. And, and I tell them, oh my gosh, like you got to keep pushing into this because you are so incredible at this or man, that, that, that thing you did in that email or, you know, the way you interacted with that customer, that that's amazing. Well, when they have that type of affirmation and they start to trust you that you care about them, when you deliver a hard piece of feedback, it's taken much better. And, and, and you can say, Hey, we're going to have a conversation about this. And this is going to be really tough, even even for me. But I, I feel like I owe it to you to to tell you what I'm what I'm observing. You know, I, I I've heard Seth Godin say to uh, criticize the work, not the person, and uh, and I think that there is some merit to that. I, I would say that like part of our, our our job as leaders is actually to help shape people, but but that principle does apply in many situations that that you know hey, here's what I'm observing, and you know, you're not attacking them, but you're saying like, this is what I'm observing. You're like, this is the work that was turned in, or here's what I saw in that customer interaction. And, and we got to talk about this. I, I know it's difficult, but I tell you this because I care about you. When, when you can be confident enough to deliver feedback like that, people will rally around you. And I, I, I've, I've seen that time and time again. It's like, it's like the, the old proverb that says, wounds from friends are better than kisses from enemies. When it comes to feedback, clear is kind. Another thing I think about, you know, when when it comes to leadership that that's really big, like Jill talked about, um, being very intentional with your sense of space and how a change of scenery or a walking meeting can make a, a big difference. And and I've I've seen that time and time again. You know, like I, I mentioned in the conversation, I'm really sensitive to where I work, and and I've I've started to learn with with my personality and, and rhythm and everything that. I always want to write either outside or in a coffee shop. I don't want to do it at my house. When our team has something very, very important, even though we don't work together in an office, I want to get together in person. Even if that means that I'm paying for a flight or a hotel, I want to do that in person because there's something that happens when we leave our space to physically come together that can cultivate creativity. It's like, yeah, we could do it over Zoom. And, and there are many things I'll do over Zoom, almost everything I will. But there are some instances where it's like, no, like we're going to rent a conference room. We're, we're going to do this. If anything, just to prove to ourselves that this is a big deal and we better show up ready to ready to go. And as Jill was talking about making hard decisions, you know, I mean, I mean she's made some pretty tough decisions with with the HPBA. For, for me, what, I, what I've found in situations like that is 
just leading with empathy, you know, thinking about how, how would I feel if, if, if I was this person or if I was this vendor that we're going to end this relationship with, or if I was, you know, the landlord and, and we're going to be actually moving out of the space and, and going somewhere else. Like if you can lead with empathy, I, I think that that's the best shot you have of, of difficult conversations, you know, going as, as well as they can. Fairly recently, I was, I was, I was talking with, with somebody about a business relationship that might have to end. And I was, I was trying to show empathy and, and think about it from their perspective. And, and they literally said to me, they said, Tim, I'm, I'm really thankful that you're thinking about it this way. And I, I just want you to know that if it has to end, that's okay. We're okay with that. And, and it was amazing, like that, that, they were actually being empathetic to me, you know, in, in that position. And so I, I think that there's a lot here in this conversation about when situations are difficult, being really clear with your expectations or what needs to happen and showing empathy towards the the person or the company or, or the party that's involved in the best way possible. And I'm not even going to say to get through it easily because, because by nature, like this is not easy. It, it, it never is. But I think that, I think that that's the way that you do it. So yeah, I, I think that there's a, there's a ton here. And I was actually really pumped to hear about the government affairs leadership Academy. I mean, honestly, like you've heard me talk about that in this podcast before that the government affairs Academy literally changed my life. I mean, me and Grant talked about that a lot, a few years ago in the early days of the podcast, this podcast launched two months after I got back from the government affairs Academy. So everything that you've ever heard of me on the air is post the government affairs Academy. It, it really did change me. And so that's pretty amazing to hear that it's like officially going to become the leadership Academy of our industry and have a, a year long cohort. So yeah, that, that was really cool. I was, I was, I was hearing about that um, for the first time today. And, and I'm, I'm really, really excited to see what, what happens with that. Well, Hey, If this podcast today has been a blessing for you and you want to support it financially, you can do that by going to the website, patreon.com slash it's fire time. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash it's fire time. And we are seriously so thankful to those of you who help support this on a monthly basis. It means the world. We operate on a shoestring budget but we operate nonetheless because of your generosity and belief in this movement. So thank you for that. And and to those of you that you know don't contribute or are not able to, that that's totally fine. The fact that you're listening and and sharing this podcast with with your team and 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 growing the movement wherever you are, like man, that's that's enough and and and, and that's incredible. So so thank you. As we go out today, um, man, my my hope for you listening to this, I'm, I'm thinking especially about the women who are listening to this. I, I hope that, that listening to Jill's story inspires you and helps you see like there are other women in our industry that care and there, and there are women that are stepping up to the plate and are becoming prominent leaders that, that will help guide the, the trajectory of our industry going forward. For, for everybody else listening, my hope is that you took something away about leadership, about difficult conversations, about the gift of outside perspective. And I, I would tell you this week, even though you're in the heart of the season, like just think about that, that word that, that Jill gave us of clear is kind. And, and as, as we go out today, I would ask you, is there somebody in your company where you, you owe it to them to give them clear feedback? Because to, to withhold that, it would not be kind. 
Well, hey, so that is all we have for today. I hope you guys got a ton of value out of the conversation. I loved getting to speak with Jill and we have some amazing guests coming up the rest of the season. Next week, we'll be talking with Mark Stoner again. He was a really popular guest from last season. And so until then, I hope you guys have an amazing week. We'll talk again very soon. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website, itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time. All in to burn it down.